The Rugby Inheritance Podcast is brought to you in association with George Davies Turf, giving you the greenest grass for every lawn, pitch or playing field you have. Find out more at www.georgedaviesturf.co.uk. Welcome again to the Rugby Inheritance Podcast with Ed Slater and me, Sam Roberts. This week, we speak to a man who has enjoyed a fascinating career and someone who has experienced the very public highs and lows of the sport. Freddie Burns is one of the game's genuine characters, incredibly important to any team as much as a personality as he was a player. In this episode, he is very open and honest about what he thinks his rugby inheritance is. And there are some incredibly funny and touchingly poignant stories coming your way. However, just to warn you, the language is strong in this episode and we would advise listener discretion. Here we go then. We start with Ed telling us how he would sum up his good friend. Sit back and just listen to this wonderful insight into top-class sport. Thank you for listening. This is Rugby Inheritance. If I could quote um, my son Frank, it would be, can Freddie be my dad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously a lot more entertaining than me. Um, He doesn't quite know enough about rugby, but we all know he's better at rugby than me. I I read about Steve Borthwick talking about Freddie and talking about not just bringing him in for his rugby ability, but for the cohesion he brings to a changing room. Uh, And I thought he summed that up extremely well. He he really brings kind of the older senior players together with the, the younger guys and he connects with everyone. So... I think I think he I'd I'd say that's the biggest compliment I could pay him. Imposter syndrome's a real thing, so it's all I always find it hard. <laughs> I always say my missus. No, generally, I find it so hard to like um everyone struggles to hear when someone's talking nicely about them. But yeah, it's um it's great to hear. I will add as well, probably um probably Swede, um the player that we are you argued most with on the pitch. Um <laughs> the amount of times I tried to run it from the twenty-two and we've knocked it on and I just get Swede looking at me, fucking kick it. Like that. Just going at me. And then but like anything, it was always it was always a beer afterwards in the change room and it was, you know, one thing that I think is lost sometimes on the younger generation is that ability to take straightforward conversation on the pitch, not take it personal and just sort of park it up. Um, and move on so um, yeah very nice words I appreciate that Swede there's definitely a few that, that, there's that, a few flaws that's in where there. it ends alright that's where it ends <laughs> yeah, that's it, Give it you know, that's it we're going to go right back to the start and, and this idea of, of 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 gifts being given and and things being given to you I want to start with the idea of, of who gave you rugby uh, an incredible career uh, you have uh, had and continue to enjoy but who started this all? Who who gave you the idea of rugby? Torsi was quite. It's quite a funny one. It was. I remember I was about five years old, and like normally people get it from their parents, but actually, uh, my older brother Jack started playing down the local rugby club on a, on a, down at Avon Rugby Club on a Sunday morning, and I think my parents had four boys: Jack, the oldest, Sam, and then me, all within sort of three years of each other. And I guess they wanted to get rid of us on a Sunday morning for a few hours. And that was us down the local rugby club. And then obviously Bill come along a bit later. But quite funny, actually, us boys got my dad into rugby. So my dad was a motocross, uh, used to race motocross and stuff like that. And on a Sunday morning, watching, uh, watching us train, one of the dads said, oh, do you fancy a game? And he was 40 at the time. And they chucked him in the second row. And rather than putting his hands between the legs, he tried to put his head between the, the props legs. But yeah, so it was kind of, it was a bit of a different one. We just did it as a, as a hobby and as a way probably to give my parents a little bit of a time off on a, on a Sunday morning. And it just sort of <laughs> carried on and obviously been blessed to have had 
you know, a, a career in it. Once again, we've got that idea of of sort of older brothers. Ed's spoken about it. Alex Good spoke about it. It's it, it's a special sort of um, dynamic, isn't it, Ed? That sort of idea of trying to play catch up, trying to trying to trying to meet the standards that are set out for you by uh, elder siblings. Mine was more a case of you know they're bigger and stronger than me for a long time, so I had to find something that I was better than them at. Uh, and I found out quite quickly my oldest brother had the hand-eye coordination of a two-year-old <laughs> <laughs> and my middle brother uh, didn't have the temperament. Yeah, I mean, Fred will say I'm I'm angry. I'll tell you, my middle brother is angry. So uh, he can complete a full game. So I, f- I found out quite quickly I was, I was better than them at that. And I did everything I could to rub it in their faces. With me and my brothers, we used to kick the crap out of each other in the garden. I think my parents were fed up of us being their responsibility and took us down, down the local club. <laughs> but um, no, they were great to be fair. The parents, especially because we, I remember like, I used to play rugby Sunday morning and then I'd be straight in the car and I'd play football for local athletic football club in the afternoon. Uh, still in the uh, high top rugby boots that I'd been in the morning because I didn't have <laughs> two pairs. So I played up front in high top. I think they still even had the, the enforced, you know, the, I wouldn't say still toe cap, but you know, when they put the toe <laughs> so I was just there, just hitting the, what they call toe pokes for fun. Did you prefer football, Fred, to start off with? Yeah, I think so. I think like anything, especially as a fly half and the amount like you kick the ball and stuff, I think we're all just frustrated wannabe footballers. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, it definitely, definitely helped having those, you know, playing in different sports and stuff, especially I look at uh, even my goal kicking and I naturally kicked the ball well because of the amount of football I played when I was younger. Because of that, I was a goal kicker. And then when I got to sort of my mid-20s or like sort of probably 23 sort of time, I started getting rugby kicking coaches trying to coach me how to kick a ball how a rugby player should. And my goal kicking went to pop for a couple of years. And then I ended up coming back to my natural style of kicking and, and almost in a football style. And then my percentages went back up. So it's amazing how you sort of what sort of mould you in um, in your childhood to then. And then when they try and change it a bit later, it just, it just never works. So Goody said he played football growing up. Fred played football. <laughs> I played football growing up till I was 15. How did I end up in the second round? Yeah, but you got you got mate, you what? got a culture <laughs> right left footer. You got a culture left footer this week. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't fr- want to throw it out there, but yeah, I've got a really good left foot. It, but man. clearly nothing it. else. It was your stature. You're always, always been a big, big bruising. Yeah, I like food too much. That was it. Wasn't it? <laughs> I want to talk, Freddie, about those early little relationships, those early friendships, those early places that you visited as a as a young boy playing, playing, playing rugby. Can you name check a, a few people early on in your career, very early on in your career, and 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 some of the places that you you might have played at? We, we you know, that's that's always nice. Take us take us back to the playing fields that you were out on as a young lad. Oh, I, you know, I think first and foremost, I was very lucky to be born, obviously, in Bath, which is, you know, a rugby city. So I was, my my parents' house was, what, 500 metres from Lambridge Training Ground where Bath used to train. So I used to go down there and, and I'd sit on the wall and watch them train. And I'd always, um, me and my brothers would always, they had a big steel kit shed where all the balls used to be, but there was a big bush behind it. The balls went in there. They never used to get them. So I used to, um, I used to go around with my brothers and see if we could nick a few, nick a few <laughs> balls. So I got a few, I got a few um, Zurich, back in the day, Zurich Premiership rugby balls and stuff like that that I'd find um, in the bush. Um, I was very lucky that my dad had a local business. So he actually did, he was, he's a plumber. So he did the drains for even guys like Steve Borthwick and stuff like that. So, They'd always give him like little bits of kit and stuff. So I was always kind of influenced by it. And then in terms of playing for Avon, you know, I remember just, God, name check. I remember a coach called Steve Conradi used to take us, you know, he used to be pitched the tent up on the side at the, at the festivals and, and all that. I had a guy called Rob Matson who used to, it was great in my sort of teenage years. The thing I loved about growing up playing rugby, what I did is I played for the crack. Like I just played, I really did just play to have fun. And when you start getting to that age where people start talking about, oh, you know, you you look like you could be a decent player. There was a handful of those at Avon where I was. And they all left and went to Bath Youth, 
Now, Bath Youth had absolutely nothing to do with Bath Rugby the senior, but they just played in the colours and all that sort of thing. And people saw it as a pathway. And I remember my parents were just like, nah, just play where, where you enjoy it. So I actually stayed at, at Avon till I was about 17. And we just played all around the Southwest. We had a great little team. We won the Bristol Combination Cup, uh, the Somerset Cup, and the Bristol Combination Sevens all in one season once. So we had a, we had a real decent team, but it was all my schoolmates and that. You know, and in those teenage years, it was to the days of going out drinking uh, on a Saturday night illegally, might I add, um, and then and then waking up and going getting and kicking off at eleven in the morning. So uh, I was lucky with that. I also, my dad was chairman of of Oldfield Rugby Club for a long time on a Saturday. So basically, it would be Saturday mornings, play for my school, and then from school it would be go up to Oldfield to watch my dad play or the first team play because uh, mum would be running the bar. Then it would be home late Saturday night, wake up Sunday morning, play for Avon on, on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, straight in the car, straight to Larko Athletic to play football for, for Larko Athletic. So I really uh, I really did it all, <laughs> played in all different environments. Um, yeah, so I don't know how my parents did it, but fair play for them sort of ferrying around four boys to, to sort of have fun and, and do what they love doing. I've asked uh, other people this so as regards... Uh, falling in love with rugby but I suppose it's a slightly different question to you Freddie how does rugby hook you in how, how does it how does it make you fall in love with it um so you know what I loved was the fact that I remember especially with with the fact that my old man was chairman and my mum used to run the bar at the local rugby club on a Saturday that Saturday mornings after I played for my school it would be to the local supermarket to get the rolls and all that. And then mum and dad, I remember they'd make the cheese and onion and then the ham salad rolls. And then we got the rugby club probably at sort of midday. And then everyone would sort of come in the rugby club. And I remember, I still remember the taste now when I talk about it of, it used to be, and I know I was young, but it used to be like, um, like a panda pop. Remember the old panda pops? Like a oh, panda yeah. pop. Yeah, I love the cheese, panda pop. Cheese and onion roll and, and a packet of mini cheddars off the old thing that you'd put. And like I'd sit there and all my dad's mates would come in and 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 their kids would be there and my brothers would be there and we'd be out messing around on the grass and then we'd be sort of in and out of the changing rooms and that smell of deep heat and you know all the banter sort of flying around, then watch the game. And then I remember just we wouldn't leave the rugby club till half 11, 12 o'clock at night because my mum was obviously running the bar and stuff like that. But just I remember like the half yard of ale or the yard of ale, the, the singing the <laughs> yeah, songs, yeah. the toga parties, the, you know, and it gets that thing where I was lucky. My parents were so great. that They'd let us like, it'd be, we'd be covered in mud and it'd be 11 o'clock at night and they'd go and run the showers, you know, the big communal showers. So there'd be us and a load of kids and we'd just be in the shower at like 11 o'clock at night, just like messing <laughs> around and like still with a rugby ball and like sliding on tape, like all this, you name it, it kind of happened. And I think that's what um, that's what really made me like fall in love. And I had teachers that played at that rugby club. On a Saturday, it would be like their nickname, and then on a, on a Monday, do you know what I mean? We'd all be bollock naked singing songs. I'd be like fifteen, whatever. <laughs> but like, like it's the rugby club. Like it's what would happen. And then you go to track, you go to school the next day on like the Monday, and you're like, sir, do you know what I mean? Like, was, <laughs> I think that was what I liked. Is it was just like there was. I just love that sort of element of it. It was just such a good time. And even to the point where, you know, 2003 World Cup, you know, I'm 13 years old, sat at that rugby club early in the morning. The parents had put on like a breakfast for everyone. And you're all just sat around and people are drinking and just like, you just remember that kind of um, camaraderie and just sort of like, you know, it was good. It was just such good times to, to have. And I think that's one thing I feel lucky in is like Sweden, I know we'll probably talk a little bit later as well, but like like the big baths that, that used to be in the change room at Leicester, the old sort of like people would, would actually hang around and just sort of sit and chat rather than it just be like professional all the time. I, I used to yeah. love that and I still, I still love it now. So I think that's what made me fall in love is just that sort of having a drink, being with your mates, messing around. It was just such a, such a happy time and a good time to be a part of. The rugby clubs, no matter where you went, they all had a similar kind of vibe about them. 
and they all had they always had similar characters. You know, we we always had like our our character was dangerous, dangerous Dave, and he was just like, <laughs> I mean, a complete lunatic would drink himself into a stupor, go yes. sleep to us, and wake up suddenly re-energized, stacking stools, snorting poor. <laughs> you know, and this 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 is all having just come off the rugby. You know, that's what I love. Exactly what Fred's saying is the kind of characters you you sit down and talk to and meet were, were brilliant. It's like like you know waiting for the players to come in and have their food and then going in and getting your plate of you know your, your sausage, chips, and beans and a couple of buttered bits of of bread. Do you know what I mean? Like the boat races. I mean at at, at Oldfield, I'll never forget it. There was a guy and they they called him. His name was Terry Fuckwit. <laughs> Terry Fuckwit, but like you know, and it would be like the you'd have Dick of the Day would stand up from each team and they'd, and they'd drink and, you know, they, but like there was none, there was none of this, oh, you're, you're too young. They just like let the kids to just in and around it. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, you weren't treated like a 10, 11 year old boy. Now, don't get me wrong. My parents weren't giving me pints of cider. Um, although my old man did caught me drinking once again and, and said, oh, I <laughs> get this. sorry, I've got to tell you this story. Millennium, Millennium Party at my parents' house, right? I got caught nicking a bottle of hooch. So my dad said, oh, you want a drink, do you? So he put the old bottle bong on it, made me bottle bong a drink. I was spewing up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that taught me, didn't it? But like, do you know what I mean? Like in those, like that instant, I, had to, I was treated like a 10-year-old. Whereas at the rugby club, as you just treated as like normal. as just one of the lads. Waiting by the bar and just pinching a pint of Coke off anyone that came to the bar that might, that might lend you a quid or two as well. Exactly. And like, you know, you'd run under that little bit, this, you know, the little fold-down bit that Del Boy falls through. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you'd run under that bit and be like, oh, mum, any chance? And she'd be like, oh, these are stickers. Do you know what I mean? Whatever. And you just sort of like, <laughs> oh, I loved it, man. Um, I almost don't want to get you off this topic, but I want to talk about you as, as a young rugby player. What what were you like as a, as a young rugby player? Um, competitive like I think that's one thing that we probably all have is just sort of like in life like you know there's a, a bit of a running joke in the family that like I'd always have to be the first everywhere whether it was we're going out for dinner I'd have to run in front of everyone to get to the restaurant first you know what I mean like just to the point where I was trying to get to school first one day and I fell in the road and got hit by a car do you know what I mean like that sort of shit, yeah. Oh my like, god! All right, I've got stories for days. But anyway, as a rugby player, I just think I was like was competitive, and because of that, I was like captain of youth teams growing up. But I was just, yeah, I just enjoyed playing the game, and like I was lucky enough to be part of a good team, so we'd always get to like quite big games. So I'd say, yeah, competitive. But it's weird, see, because I don't really have much footage of like me playing as a. You know, you see, like when you see like old players there's always like footage in that whereas you know we never really recorded too much stuff of like me playing so from an actual playing point of view I can't tell you much just remember my my first day being a captain and a, and a fight kicked off on the pitch <laughs> a guy called Russell Honeybun was having a fight and my dad shouts on the pitch Fred go sort it out as it goes spit it up so I go over and I punch this kid in the face right this kid was a blooming Southwest under 13s boxer. He blooming jab, jab, hook. <laughs> I'm on the deck. And my dad's on the pitch, on the side of the pitch. Not like that, Fred, you fucking idiot. <laughs> ah. Next thing you know, do you remember the days, sweet, of getting a yellow card? And when you got a yellow card, you have to go and stand under the post. Yes, and yes, I do, yeah. So next thing I got a bleeding nose, black eye, and I'm stood at the end of the pitch crying because I thought my dad, I thought I was doing the right thing, making dad proud. <laughs> but I got it wrong. But I like, just... <laughs> Just stuff like that, mate. I, I was going to say, what what point do you think you realise you're obviously a good player and and better than most? I know I know it sounds like you, you know you're not going to say that about yourself, but clearly you know you're going to be you're ahead of a, a lot of players. When when did you realise that? So actually, pretty late. So I remember I got to like 15. I played for uh, I got selected for Somerset. And actually, uh, Captain Somerset under 60s, I think it was at that stage. <clears throat> and that was when it then went, in my area, it was like Somerset, Southwest, and then England under 16s. There's a lot of chat then because Millfield were in our catchment area of sort of Somerset and stuff. So there's a few Millfield lads. I Captain Somerset, and then it comes to Southwest selection, and 
They selected the Somerset 13, who was a Millfield lad. They selected him as a fly half for Southwest and didn't select me. So suddenly I was like, you know, oh, shit, I'm probably not good enough. I remember I got invited to train with Bath under-19s and I could do the training, but I couldn't do any of the contacts. I was 15 and it'd be one of those. I'd go and I'd stand on the side, like Johnny, stand on the wing. And it wasn't until 16 I got invited into the Bath Academy to like do some training and that, and I, and I did that. And then when I turned 17, they were like, oh, I was in no England setups and all that. They were like, oh, I'll go and do um, a three-day England under-18s trial at Loughborough Uni. And I was like, oh, I'll just go and see how I compare. And throughout the week, I was all right, but I was just like not that great. And then it come to the game and I just managed to switch it on. And then next time I'm in the England squad. But even then it was like, you know, I would, I'd be on the bench and stuff. And then I was told that I was too small to play fly off and I need to eat six meals a day and all this sort of crap. So it was never a case of like nailed on, oh, you're, you're going to go on and have the career. It was a lot of... Um, it was a lot of little setbacks, which at that age, not you for six. As that sixteen-year-old, Freddie, what what words of advice would you would you have for that that sixteen-year-old? If you could go back in time and just whisper in Freddie Burns's ear at sixteen, what what would you say? I actually, do you know what? I actually wouldn't say anything because I handled that situation the best I could, and I look back now and I'm like, I had traits back then that I didn't realise would come to fruition later on in my career, which was persistence like just constantly having a crack and just putting your best foot forward and that's all I did like of course I was disappointed I find it funny now I'm not going to say the bloke's name in case he listens to it because he's not a bad bloke but the bloke at Somerset <laughs> didn't pick me for Southwest he told me that I'd never be a professional fly half and then five years later I started for oh, I played for England against the All Blacks at, at fly half every time I go down the local pub now all I hear is him saying about how he taught me all he fucking knows to play do you know what I mean? <laughs> I really want to. Oh, one, day, one day when I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to go, here, you know, fuck all, mate. <laughs> um, but no, but generally, I just think that, like, I think it was installed, like, for my, like, my mum and dad have always been sort of, um, like, they've run a family business. You know, they've gone through recessions and the business has kept going. They've gone through hard times. And I don't know whether it was their kind of lead, but I just, I don't know, I just never really lost, lost heart. I always just kept trucking. And it will end up coming good in the end. So, yeah, it's um, like almost, I'll be honest with you, I just want to say, like, fuck them. It's amazing. And even now in my career, Eddie Jones comes in as England coach, obviously a few years back now. It's one man's opinion whether you're in it or not. People say, oh, still think, yeah, 100%, I still reckon I could play for England now. Whether, you know, people might listen to that and laugh. Your career is often defined by one man's opinion. And, you know, when I look at careers I've had in places I've played, is sometimes, you know, Bath, Stuart Hooper clearly didn't rate me. Do you know what I mean? And, it, and it therefore didn't pick me to start and play. So that's not that's not anything to do with, with me necessarily. That's just their opinion. And sometimes you're better off going somewhere uh, where you're valued. And we've all been in those environments, Swede, as well. We were like, you know, you know you're not valued. And then the difference between that and going to a place where, you know they see value in you. Like even last year at Leicester, obviously I didn't, I wasn't starting. Fordy was the main man. The way Steve spoke to me, the way Kev Sinfield spoke to me, I felt like they saw value in me. And that was all, that's all you need as a person sometimes in sport and out of sport is to feel that, you know, even in relationships and friendships and stuff like that, the, the feeling of just feeling valued. You haven't got to be the best or whatever, but the feeling of feeling valued is very underrated. Uh, last question in this section. And it's a good one. Uh, when you ran out into the back garden to play rugby, who were you pretending to be? Oh, wow. Um, for me, I love, I used to watch the Super Rugby in the morning and it was Carlos Spencer. So it was always Carlos Spencer, obviously, as at, from 13 onwards after Johnny dropped the goal, it was probably Wilkinson. Um, but I tell you what, more often than not, I was myself. It was always me. <laughs> exactly. Like, and I said this, you know, I said this about, I said this about the drop goal last year. I had this realisation a few weeks after it. It was one moment, but it was a moment that I've actually lived a thousand times. Because when I was in the garden or when I was at the local rugby club, or even now when I'm in training now, you constantly have this narrative in your head running. 
you know what I mean? And when you're younger, you probably vocalize it a little bit, little bit more and you're like, oh, and there's a minute left, drop goal to win it and all this sort of stuff. Like I did that thousands of times when I was younger. And you know what I mean? And so you do it as well where like you do it and you miss. And so you're like, oh, oh, and suddenly there's injury time. Like, do you know what I mean? And you'd like give yourself another shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like you actually you've lived it, you've lived it so many times before that it's actually just it's nothing really new. Well, that's the beauty of it. It, it never ends in failure when you're playing those games, does it? <laughs> Ever? <laughs> exactly, mate. Just like uh, like literally, they'd be like, your mum would call you in for dinner. You're like, hang on, I'm in, I'm in the 35th minute of extra time, mum. <laughs> the second part is is really about what rugby has given you. Um, we, we've spoken to players who've, who've talked about the fact they've been with one club for a long time and, and, and we understand what that gave them. But what does playing your rugby for different clubs, I mean, you played for, you know, in English terms, three, three of the hugest clubs, Gloucester, Bath, Leicester, and obviously now you, you've moved around the world to, to the Highlanders. What, what does playing for different clubs give you? It gives you perspective. It gives you a real... I'd probably say it gives you a real challenge. It's, it's a constant challenge to have to adapt and, and change, but it just gives you this like roundedness that, and just this look on life that I don't think I'll get if I was just a one club man. And I think everyone sets out to be that one, one club man. I think it's a great thing to have. But when I look at the coaches that I've played under, the players I've played with, the environments I've had to adapt to, it's amazing what it gives you. You know, the highs, the lows, the friendships, the different personalities. Like going from Richard Cockrell, who called me a C-U-N-T every other day, pretty much. <laughs> and then, but then, but even coming down here to be in New Zealand now, sweet, you'll vouch for this as well. I've been under a couple of Kiwis and stuff like that. Is I was always of the feeling that the Kiwi style of coaching doesn't work in the UK. Because in the UK, boys just want to be sort of told they want it straight. Whereas in New Zealand, it's a lot more talk around values and kind of like all these slogans and different sort of sort of trigger words and all that kind of thing. And it's just a little bit, even now I find myself in meetings here just being a little bit like, oh, this is a bit, it's a bit much this, but it's just not how, it's how they're wired up down there and the boys love it. And I just think it gives you that understanding that there's many ways to skin a cat. It gives you a way that, right, actually what works here works here because of that reason and it won't work here because of that. And I think as I go through life, um, the experiences I had in rugby will just set me up massively, including even playing in Japan. You know, that year I had in Japan was bonkers. You know, you're, you're in an environment where no one speaks the language. You want to speak for a translator or you just do slapstick comedy, which... Um, <laughs> which you do well. Sort of, <laughs> It had kind of, it had kind of mixed. Thing. A lot of them just looked at me and were just like, oh, like I couldn't tell what they were saying. But they were just <laughs> to have played with some people and in some environments, and then to go to another environment like Japan, where you have to wait for the water boy to come on because he's the translator to get your point across and communication, all that sort of stuff. I think it's just given me a real broad outlook on on life and a real appreciation of of the game and you know different cultures around the world. I love that because to be a kid from Bath, to then be able to travel around the world through rugby, meet, play with different players, meet different personalities. I'm a little bit similar. I said something similar to you, Fred, is, you know, just just a kid from Milton Keynes. You know, you you start to realise so many people, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but so many people... Uh, born and raised somewhere and they d- they don't move away and they, they stay in the same job for a long time and to cram all that experience into kind of the space of about 15 years really isn't it you're so lucky to learn so much and see so much uh, and there's not many things or jobs where you could do that so there's two things so I had that I had that thing when I went when I signed for Bath and I went back so I never really wanted to go to Bath in the first place um, but that's another story but when I got back to Bath I'd drive past my local pub and it'd still be my same mates outside that pub every night having a pint and stuff like that. And I felt a real, like, um, I felt really, like, trapped the whole time like I was there. a backward there. step. Yeah, like, I just... Yeah. It was such a weird feeling because I absolutely loved the fact that 
most nights I'd go up to, I was single at the time. So I'd go up to my parents' house and I'd have, you know, I got to sit down with my parents and have dinner every night like I used to. And I, I had real value in those, in those sort of things. But then in other aspects, it was just like, I just, I don't know. I just, I didn't, didn't like it. I just sort of felt like, oh, I want to be out of here. I want to be seeing, seeing things. And I actually had a realisation only, was it yesterday or the day before? I just did a little sort of Q&A on Instagram. I didn't want to sound like braggy, but someone turned around to me and said, uh, it was something along the lines of uh, the fly you've you've admired that you've managed to play against. And it actually had me thinking, right. So my first game ever for Gloucester, I played with Carlos Spencer, my idol. I played at 10, he played at 12, which was bonkers. But I look at it now. I've played with guys like George Ford, Andre Pollard. I've now played against Nick Evans in the Premiership, Cipriani, Flood. I've played against Wilkinson. I've played against Gitto. I've played against Carter. I've now come down here. I've played against Bowden Barrett. I've played against Richie Mwonga. You just start, start writing off these names and like, don't get me wrong. I've been fisted by most of them. Do you know what I mean? They might speak <laughs> fucking stupid. I haven't. I, you shared but, the pitch. But you know, when you start thinking about it, you start rallying it off and you think like, if I could talk to 15-year-old me and say you were going to play with and against like these kind of players, God, that's only people in my position. That's not the legends that I've, I've played with in other positions or against. So you suddenly yeah. think, wow, man, like what a, like, and, and that comes from the ability of, not the ability, that comes from the opportunity of being able to play around the world is to just test yourselves in different environments and against the best. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah, it's nuts. When I look back on that, I just had that realisation. I was sort of thinking about it the other night doing that Q&A and I was just like, take out all the individual stuff and obviously winning the league last year and stuff like What a career and a life to have lived in a game that I've loved. It's not too bad. Is that where rugby was was kindest to you? Do you feel? Do you, do you sort of see that as the as as the way that rugby, the sport itself, was was kindest to you? I'll be honest with you. I, I go out like I don't think rugby like is necessarily that that kind in that sense. I think <laughs> I, I be honest with you. I'd say a, not a majority of the time, but a large chunk of the time, rugby shit. You you wake up, you saw, you've lost. You're in a tough environment. You're in a team meeting. It's, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're having tough conversations. The way it's been friendliest to me or best to me is in that friendship element is the fact that when rugby does suck, which it does, like everything does in, in life and, you know, in work situations and all that, you're going through it with a group of mates and you're going through it with people that you find good humour in and you find the bright side in it. But yeah, rugby, rugby's been kind to me in the friendships and stuff like that, but it's always been pretty, pretty unforgiving. I know obviously there's been plenty of difficult moments, but I did always feel, and it, it's something I, I wouldn't say regret, but I look back on and go, oh, you, you should have been less serious because we, you know, we both know very, very serious at, at times. But I always felt you got that balance really, you know, you did it well. And that's why I said at the beginning is you had that ability to jump between the younger lads and be able to connect with them. You know, the older boys as well, you always had a good connection there. And at, at times I, I wasted, not wasted you, that's probably a bit dramatic, but, you know, I was so in the zone all the time. I let so many things go past me around, whether it was characters, personalities, you know, making more friends. Uh, and I always felt that you did, you, you've done that really well. I've always found humour my crutch. Like it's my, <laughs> like humour's my, you know, if, if in doubt, just take a piss out of yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like but yeah. just, just try and get something. And sometimes that is misread and like misunderstood. And I think when I was younger, I used to have a real issue with being misunderstood, whereas now I don't really like, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable being being misunderstood and like even more so down here mate because there are no cynics in New Zealand there's these two fucking radio presenters that talk during the game like as in like in breaking plays like just try and get a bit of atmosphere and stuff and I was on the bench for my first pre-season game and I'm sat next to um, Daniel Leonard Brown and uh, they started talking and I just looked at him and gone who the fuck are these two muppets like that right 
And like <laughs> literally the bloke was like, oh no, he was like, oh no, they're, they're actually really nice, um, really nice people. Like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, no, no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm joking. I'm just like. But that, that goes back to your point about like, sometimes it, you know, uh, different philosophies don't transfer. And, you know, that that's, you know, we talk, say Mage, Aaron Major, for example, like brilliant, brilliant guy. I absolutely love as. And he brought some good ideas over to Leicester, but there were also some ones where I I understood what he was trying to do. He's trying to build a, a different culture with different kind of values. Because you know, let's be honest, Leicester is an incredible club, but it would beat the personality out of you. You know that yeah, that yeah. was the place. It would beat the personality out of you. And and now now I'm older and I you know obviously left under a bit of a cloud and you know that opens you up to reflection. You start to realise that 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 that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And and but Aaron did try to come to the club and brought a couple of funky ideas with him. Yeah, and yeah. I remember having to go into the office and I said, and both my major played in England. I was I was a bit hopeful he'd understand, but I I, I said as um. I think we've got a, we we had to dip uh, some cups in water. <laughs> I remember um, this. Uh, and basically, <laughs> sorry, I've lost it. Um, I've just thought back to memory. He gave us all a. Uh... <laughs> oh God! He gave us... <laughs> he gave us a plastic cup, and you had to go. <laughs> I'm back in that room now. I remember this. <laughs> I can't tell this story and look at your face. I'll have to turn away and, and uh, look into the distance. But we all got given a um, a plastic cup and you had to go up to this wa- tank of water. He's like, you know, tell us how much you think you contribute to the club. If you contribute loads, fill up your entire cup and then you have to pour it into an empty tank and we'll see, you know. We'll compare the two tanks and, and see how much water's left, basically. Everyone's sitting in this room thinking, bloody, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, what's this got to do with anything? We're also not, we're not humble, but like, you know, I'll go for half a cupping because, yeah, there's more I could do, you know. And most most of the um, most of the English lads w- would do half a cup. Well, a couple, a couple of... <laughs> Couple of the other lads, they're going up, and bear in mind they're they're like feigning injuries, barely training, don't get picked in the squad. They're going up, putting full full pints of water into their cup. And thought, you know, obviously we're all looking at each other, and we're going, "That cheeky bastard! Look at him! He's put a full pint." In. <laughs> you know, he's he's lucky to be holding an empty cup, let alone have a have a chance to go and put some water in it, and. um Anyway, this went on. There's there's another thing with them, um, a shirt and a rope. Sweet, sweet. I remember, right? So I remember the rope, right? So just to give people listening a concept, right? Scott Anson brought in into a meeting room, a fifty meter length of rope, right? This big, big fucking rope, right? And he picked up and he said, he said he picked off one of the little bits of like the little strand of like string coming off, and he picks one out, and he's like. These are our brothers before us, right? Like people that have played for the club before, right? <laughs> so in my head, right? And I think the film Avatar had just come out. So I'm like, oh, it's like that that tree of Awa, you know, that thing that they connect in and they can hear all their past like people and that, right? So as a joke, I grabbed this rope and I held it and I thought it was like the rope of Awa. And I swear, all I could hear was Toby Flood because obviously I fucking took over the 10 shirt from him. All I could t- all I could hear was him calling me a cunt mate for it. Do you know what I mean? For any fucking rope. <laughs> and that's what I could hear. And then I looked at Sam Harrison, mate. I'm crying with laughter. And Scott Hansen is just like staring at me. I bumped into him the other day, mate. Like, and it was just, he's the same bloke, mate. He's a legend, but Jesus Christ. Some of the things. Remember when he put well, an axe with a team? Well, that I was I was going to say I, lo- I love Scott as well. He's, he's an energy giver, isn't he? You know, he's he's a good person to be around. But he, um, we had a we had a team meeting, and he was defence coach, so everything was built around chop tackles. You know, you want to axe them to the floor. I remember Sammy again. Sammy Harrison always always on it. 
we had Mac computers where we did the review in these in these uh, in this team meeting room. Um, but there was this just this random twenty year old Dell screen sitting on the side, and we were all going, "It's a bit weird." Anyway, Scott Hansen walks in with a giant fireman's axe into the room, says nothing, and then out of nowhere swings this thing and smashes the, this Dell screen to pieces. <laughs> and then, and then there was about silence for about a minute. Now I just remember Sam Harrison again, just burst out laughing, just complete, and and then the whole room erupted. Basically, didn't everyone was looking at each other again, and and they were the things that because of the English sense of humour, it just couldn't get taken seriously. And I didn't mention that to me. And to be fair, he he got rid of the rope. I tell you why he got rid of the rope, sweet. The first preseason game that year, he decided to fucking. Roll it out on the side of a pitch. I come running out the tunnel, tripped over the fucking thing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who put this bloody 50 meter rope here? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I kind of have this saying, right? And it doesn't like make any sense. And you'll think, what is he on about? But for me, I always say as a joke, I always say, negativity is positivity. Like sometimes you have to just turn around and go, boys, this is shit and just try and find the humor in it i, I cannot stand fake positivity like yeah. and i'm not saying that you have to be like cynical all the time or negative or whatever one thing Ali waters at leicester got right so many times was we do conditioning or something like that and he'd be the first to be like boys it's going to be shit it's going to be rubbish like it's going to like but just give me 20 minutes Give me 20 minutes, I'll get you in, I'll get you out, whatever. And you just go, right, he actually understands. Yeah. Whereas then you get the coaches that are like, guys, come on, smile, it's fitness. Like, you love it. And it's like, <laughs> like you're allowed to be, but likewise, when you have a bad game, you're allowed to be like, I had a shit game today. You're allowed to be like, I always have this thing with um, sports psychologists and stuff. It's just like, it always has to be positive, positive. And I'm like, sometimes, boys, just got to be like, Boys, it's absolutely hammering down with rain. It's minus three degrees. But you've got to try and find a bit of energy in like, you know, whether it's music in the gym or dancing and that. But like, that's where I find is the best thing is you've got to, yeah, you're allowed to say things. Uh, my, most of my favourite times are in a, a being negative in a rugby change room before training. When you're, you yeah, know, yeah. everyone's feeding each other and it, it spirals out of control. Until you, yeah. <laughs> you're painting the worst picture in the world. And then you get on the pitch and you train for an hour and you get over it and you have a laugh, don't you? But Mate, I always like, have a joke. I'm like that. They're like, some people are like, oh, so when was your last cap for England? I was like, oh, 2014. They're like, oh, why didn't you get capped after that? I said, oh, I went on a performance sabbatical. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I was shit for a couple of years. Do you know what I mean? So like, like we're like, you're allowed. And then they go, oh, no, you can't say it. No, you're, you're good. Like, you can't say it. I, I can say that. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, my first year at Leicester, I was terrible. I was kicking it about 60%. I couldn't hit a barn door of a bar made of doors. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, <laughs> well, you were getting a lot of negativity from above, weren't you? That's it. Yeah, that was maybe where it spilled over. Yeah, you talk about square peg round hole. But we made it We made it work. But yeah, it was just um, like, Jai, I got told yesterday by a psychologist um, in a team meeting, you shouldn't apologise for making a mistake on a rugby field. And I'm like, well, like, don't get me wrong. You don't need everyone to say sorry for every little mistake they make. But like, sometimes, like when you kick a ball out on the fall from a restart and it takes a minute and a half for them to reset and that whole minute and a half, the camera's just on you. Sometimes you just want to just acknowledge it. It's not blooming. Yeah, I get it. You've sort of skirted around it a little bit, but let's let's just dive into this uh, if, if we can. Rug, rugby can hand out tough tough lessons where, where was rugby at its cruelest to you oh I think the obvious one was dropping the ball against Toulouse I say dropping it it's actually an unbelievable bit of play for Maxi Madar do you know what I mean like should I sprint under the post dot it down yeah does 50% of every player who crosses a line in that manner slow down a little bit and not have someone behind them yeah but that's no excuse like, I should have put the ball down whatever but that was when it was probably at its cruelest in terms of, obviously it was like social media blew up. Even now, you know, people 
I still get direct messages or tweets from people just trying to bring it up. Like there's some couple of bar fans will literally tweet the video to me probably once every couple of months. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, really? I, and it, it'll just be like, oh, remember this. Like, don't forget this. And I'm like, mate, it was round one. It was round one. We still lost the other fucking five games. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, but like, that was the cruelest. Like, it was really tough. And then I remember Jamie Roberts, actually brilliant in that moment, was in the change room. And the hardest thing is there is there's no escape. The cameras are on you and all that sort of stuff. But he came up to me and he was like, mate, listen, boys don't want to see you down. Do what you got to do. But Monday, come in and just be like, just be your normal self. So I went home, sat in a dark room, had a few beers. I went to watch my little brother's game for Ulster. And every time he touched the ball, the commentators just kept saying about my mistake. Not in like a bad way, but we're just like, oh, been a tough day for the Burnses and stuff like this. Do you know what I mean? All that kind of thing. So I ended up switching yeah. that off. My mum called me up the next morning and was like, all right, I booked us in for a Sunday roast. You're coming. So I was like, all right. And then I get a knock at the door because they've pulled up to pick me up. And it's my brother, Sam. And as I've opened the door and closed it, locked it behind me, he's taken his jacket and he's put it over my head. Right. And I like, pushed my head down like that. And he's going, no paps, no paps. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of like pissing around. Sort of ushering me into the car, like having a joke. We sort of, bear in mind, I live on like a country road then. Like there was no one around. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was hilarious. We got to the, the pub and I remember we walked in the door and the first thing I see is an old boy sat in the corner and he's got a big paper in front of him. And the back page is just a picture of me with the word clown written above it. Um, no way, was there? Yeah, and you're just a bit like, ah, f- do you know what I mean? Like you just couldn't really get away from it. And unfortunately for a long time, and like I say, unfortunately, maybe rightly so, I'm not too sure, but for a while, it kind of defined me. As in not me personally, but people would be like, oh, Freddie Burns. Oh, who's Freddie? Oh, you know, the guy who dropped the ball against Toulouse. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? So that was when it was probably at his cruelest in terms of then like, you know, any Q&A I did, any TV appearance I did, anything like that, it would be the first thing that would be brought up. So it was almost like you could never really escape it. I actually had a, a school wrote me, a primary school made a book and the teacher printed off little rugby balls and all the kids wrote me little messages, which was, so I got this little book at home. And like one of them, like they're so like innocent and sweet. Like someone said, uh, dear Freddie, it's okay to cry. And <laughs> all this sort of stuff. And I was like, so I actually, I called the school up and I went in a few weeks later and went into their class and sort of had a little chat with them all and stuff. But there were some oh, real nice brilliant. moments in it. But it was just that thing where you were that guy. It, as much as you put a brave face on and you sort of take the mick, it hurts. And it still hurts now a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Because you are that, you know, that, that kind of muppet. But um, how, did you, how did you make peace with it, Freddie? Um, the main thing is you just you've got to accept it and accept the responsibility for it. And that's one thing I've never tried to... The first thing I'll say is like, I fucked up. Like I said earlier, Madar, it's a great bit of play from him. Even the knowledge to know that he can only hit my hand and not the ball is impressive. But yeah, just to, just to accept it. I remember I texted Todd Blackadder, who's the coach on the Sunday. And I just said to him, I said, look, like I'm, I'm hurting. It's not, it's not easy. I said, but tomorrow when I come into training, I'm going to be as normal as possible. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't want to, because obviously it's a coach killer as well. He must've been fuming with me. But, I knew, and I almost loved it that week. We played Wasps away. From the minute I got off the coach, I had a camera in my face, which I knew was coming, and I just tried to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes your back's against the wall. But I think the main thing for me, and what I try to do in life as much as possible, is take responsibility. You know, when you make a mistake, we all make mistakes or do something that doesn't work out. It's just go, look, I messed up. I should have put it down. Simon Zebo messaged me saying, mate, no one died. Don't worry about it. When you take context and step back from it all, I dropped the ball in a game of rugby. When you actually put it yeah. in the plainest terms, you're kind of like, bear in mind also in that game, I'd scored, I think I'd scored 19 points. I'd already scored a try, a couple of long range penalties. I was probably three minutes away from getting man of the match in a European game. Do you know what I mean? And it just changes like that. So yeah, uh, probably ran from it a little bit. I always felt like from that moment, there was a black mark against my name at Bath in terms of, selection and uh, especially with Bruce Craig and the way he runs the place down there I kind of felt like he would have it would have stung him more than it stung me and his sort yeah. of reaction to it would be to kind of ideally not play me yeah write so, you off because of it yeah exactly so that's what I kind of felt like I'll be honest with you it wasn't until I went to Japan do you know what I mean I went to Japan and I loved it I fell back in love with the game 
but then I still also had that realization that I still had much, something to give. So how how tough was that period? Because obviously you know we both left Leicester in in awkward circumstances, shall we say? Um, and I know that wasn't a move you wanted to make to Bath, um, but it's kind of put on you a little bit similar to me with Glossa. Although you know I look back and I had a, I've had a, an amazing time with Glossa and it worked out for the best for me. But I know that yeah. move wasn't a great move for you. But I think the thing is, the thing is, sweet as well, is it goes back to the conversation we had earlier, right? At 16, I was told I was too small. I'd never play professional rugby. I sort of had a few, I then get, I'm obviously in the England squad at a young age, I get, get dropped just before the World Cup. Again, because I'm not, because I wasn't playing well enough, but I get dropped again. That's another kick in the gut. You know, that year, that last year at Leicester, I was arguably playing the best rugby I've played in my career. And then suddenly you get called into an office and told that they'd rather swap another player for you. It's tough to take, mate. Like you're there and you're going, fuck, I'm playing well. And they want to get, I'm still, I'm still in contract for another year after this one. They, they want to get, they want to get rid of me. Like it's a, it's a kick in the gut. There was then things around Bath and, uh, like Bath and Leicester discussed what I was getting paid at Leicester. So when it comes to contract negotiation, they're like, yeah, we'll just pay you what you're on at Leicester. So I had to be like, no, you won't. Like, Forley wants to leave. Bath want him to go. Leicester want him to come. Like, I'm not just going to bend over and, and take it for, like, you'll, I'll get something out of this. So I ended yeah. up having to dig my heels in and, and, and earn a bit more money, which I feel like I'm well within my right to do. But it was just, it's tough, mate. When, when someone openly says, when, when you're playing that well, and then they turn around and say, we don't want you, we want to go and get someone who we think's better. It's like, oh, this it's tough. Like your ego, your confidence, it's it's a tough one to take. And then, you know, Bath were terrible at the time. And I got down there and then suddenly I find myself not even being able to get on the pitch. And, you know, one minute, you know, Leicester, we're, we're playing in semi-finals, we're in the top four. Like we weren't playing that well, sweet, were we? But we were, we were always there, thereabouts. And suddenly yeah. I've dropped to a club that finished I think it was eighth or ninth the year before, and suddenly I can't even get in the team or can't even get any game time. And I'm just like, and then no, really sweet, you know how it is. I don't do things by half, mate. I get my day for that, <laughs> and I get sent off. <laughs> <laughs> so I wait four weeks for my first start, and then fucking bang, red card. Have another three weeks off, red. Cheers, mate. <laughs> it was always kind of, um, it just never worked, mate. And I look back nah. now, and you know, at the time, and I don't know whether it's age or perspective or what, but at the time you get, ah. Oh, this is shit, that's shit, that doesn't work, this ain't right. But in the end, sometimes it just doesn't, the face it just doesn't work. Doesn't it wasn't meant, yeah. meant to be. And then the journey I've had since then has been been unbelievable. So uh, I don't regret my time at Bath, but yeah, it all, it all sort of adds to the, to the story, really. I want to ask what your strongest rugby memory is. I think I know what the answer to this question might be, but when you close your eyes, where are you? <clears throat> I've always said this. Don't get me wrong, like last year, like I'd be lying if I said it wasn't moment-wise like the best. But for me, my last ever game for Gloucester uh, was away at Worcester. Uh, Henry Trinder went down injured in the in the warm-up. Standard. Uh, so I, yeah, standard, yeah, I like Trins. So I walked into the change room and seen that my name had been shifted to, to the 12 shirt and I had a little F in front of the birds. I thought, right, and then I looked to the left and at 10 it had, B. Burns, and it was his first ever Premiership start. I followed him out the tunnel, and so I have that moment of like, because you know, we're from Bath, but we are like working class. You know, my parents worked hard; they've had a plumbing business. You know what I mean, and all that. To go from playing in the garden with your brother to running out in a Premiership fixture, or following him out, and like, I think as a bigger brother, there's like that feeling of just protection and pride, and just wanted to help them out. So. Actually, probably my fondest memory in rugby, I'd say, is, is was that moment running out behind Bill and of lost the shirt. I think about it now, it kind of it almost chunks me up a little bit just because I know how I'd eat, work for it and stuff like that. So to have that that moment was um, was incredible. But like any big moment, mate, I managed to fuck that up. I hit the post for a penalty in the last minute and we lost. <laughs> <laughs> what the final last year does more than anything is it puts a nice little shine on everything because, you know, I, you know, I, play, I played, like, played for my country, sweet. 
played my little brother's suite, you know, 200 premiership games, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. They all sound nice, but they're those things that you don't, how do I word it? They almost become meaningless because you've not achieved that one goal, which for me was, you know, I wanted to play for my country and I want to win the premiership. So I'd always be that guy. Oh, you played 200 games. Oh, do you ever win it? Nah. You know, I, mean? I never wanted to be a guy that never won it. Yeah. So to win it was one thing. And then obviously in the manner, it was just, um, yeah, beyond, beyond. But even now I talk about it, like, I just don't, feels weird. Like I still get that feeling my, my stump, my, my, my heart sinks. And I just sort of, yeah, so it's a weird feeling. I, I still love the iconic run back pointing, you know, heads on because that, that all adds point. to it as well. That all adds to it as well, which I think is brilliant. Man, that, that's from that's from the incident of Bath, mate. That's from learning not to celebrate too early. That's like, <laughs> yeah, fuck, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, get your hands on, yeah. <laughs> no, but genuinely, I genuinely now I was running back and like, you can't see it, but I'm almost just muttering to myself. I'm like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, I'm literally like, what? What is going on? Like, what the fuck? And then you actually see me a little bit. I'm like, and I'm just like, I'm like, please, 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 like, please, just like, it was such not redemption, but it was just like, it was such a chapter to just be written for me that I just wanted it to be finished in that moment. That I was just, and you know, it's Saracens. You know that they're going to put the restart short, and it's a fifty-fifty, and oh, I just yeah, and then. Oh, well, mate, to add, add to it, Lenny uh, Ben Youngs, he said, uh, if you if you've ever kept the boots from that final, they shouldn't be the thing you frame. You should frame the sock because he said the ball came off the shin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually gave I um I gave the boot. I gave the actual boots to um to Lenny and Tom for their testimonial. Yeah. So the actual boot was framed uh, with the shirt. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't complaining in hindsight, then. Mate, uh, in hindsight, they should have cut off my shin. Do you know what I mean? I should have just got like a, uh, I should have just got like a, a potato peeler, mate, and just peeled off the skin from my shin and put that in there. <laughs> but yeah, it was that was nuts, mate. And then just I think everything around that year with with Tommy and Tiff and all that sort of stuff, and yeah. um, it just yeah, it just always weird, mate. Weird feeling how it all just seemed to align and happen. And I actually had the best moment. It's like, I felt a bit bad because I didn't shake any of the Saris boys' hands at the final whistle because I basically was obviously celebrating. And then I was just like, I want to see my parents. So I literally ran straight up, straight into the crowd and got to see my brothers and my parents and that. And that was just, like, there's a, a great photo of it. And I think uh, Harry Potter's um, sister was behind recording and I didn't know. And they sent me the video and it's just like, that's a moment where, you know, families go through it all with you, don't they? So to give them that moment almost meant more. Um, yeah. And I say a lot as well, the stories around it, the stories around where people were and all that, they genuinely mean more to me than the actual action itself. I've seen some old woman, mate, she must have been 70-odd in, in the supermarket a couple of weeks after. She said that she invigilates exams. So on the Monday, she, well, she happened and she had a few drinks and that, and she had a tiger's tattoo on her face. And she couldn't get it off. So she actually went to invigilate an exam on the Monday morning with the Bermin <laughs> best of Tigers thing. I was just, do you know what I mean? Like, things like that, mate. And like, I, you know, I nicked the trophy, didn't I? So I took the trophy home with me. You, you absolutely lived every moment of it because I was lucky enough to win it in 2013. It, it passes by so quickly. Mate, and we've been it? in the final two years before and, I, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, it'll happen again. And it doesn't, yeah, but... Yeah. I, I obviously loved all the social media stuff, you know, with the trophy. That's one thing I'm down to London, the whole lot. That's one thing I genuinely don't get me wrong. Would I love to be sat here now like Wiggy, having won it, I mean, seven, eight times or whatever? Yeah. To have had to go on the journey I've been on and to sort of take the lows and all that, to win it at 32, it makes it mean twice as much. You know, I look around yeah. at all the young lads and don't get me wrong, I've like, laid up for them. But for them, it's like, it comes easy and you're almost like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really how it goes. Like it's hard to go and win and, and back it up. So to have had that, uh, and I say it about the end of season social, mate, like I milked it. I loved it, but I loved it for, I thought I'd win the league and it would be 
out on top of tables and all that sort of stuff. Whereas actually, as much as I drank and I loved it and I milked it, I just found myself a lot of the time just sat in the corner, watching the young lads enjoy it and just having that sense of... of Contentment. Oh, mate, that exhale and just be yeah. like, like, we did it. That feeling meant like it was just, yeah, like euphoria, really. Third and, and, and final part, Freddie, because... Um... Well, Sorry, I've been waffling I, on a bit. I was about to say, I'm sure, like Ed, I, I could listen to you for days. Yeah. I really could. Uh, but I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But the third and final part really is is kind of what do you think you you leave behind, you know, metaphorically or perhaps literally? What, what do you hope you have left other people, other players? Um, I hope I've left behind like like a, like a friendship, like a genuine... I'd like to think people would see me as like... like genuine and and you know any teammate at any club I like them to feel like they could pick the phone up and give me a call and if they ever need anything and I think that's the main thing for me in terms of people that I played played with you know I had a lovely moment here a few weeks ago we played the Blues round one and obviously it's my first my Super Rugby debut and I walked out of the tunnel walking in was Carlos Spencer who's obviously my idol and someone who I played with at Gloucester briefly. And I've not seen him since, well, that had been 2009, 2010. And sort of had a handshake and a, and a little hug and a little catch up. And he sort of wished me well. And I just sort of think like playing alongside him had such a lasting effect on me because of how he treated me and how, you know, he was a superstar. And yet how he helped me with my kicking and just have time for me. And I think that's the main thing. I'd like people to think that I'd always have, to have time for them. In terms of like off it and what people the people outside of rugby think, I just want my story to be more about persistence. You know what I mean? You can be down, but you're never out is is the main thing. Um, rugby's a great, or sport's a great metaphor for that in terms of, you know, it's not been plain sailing. But if you keep trucking and just keep putting your, your, your best foot forward, it'll all be right and it'll come, it'll come good. If rugby could speak, what would it say about you? Uh, I don't know. I just think that I just I'll be honest with you, mate. I just like I just want to be a person that people want to be around. That's all. If times are hard, I want them to be able to talk to me. If when times are good, I want to be able to be a part of it. Do you know what I mean? Like I just want. That's all I'd say. Someone who enjoyed it, you or tried to enjoy it, and I like, don't get me wrong. I've not enjoyed every day. Far from it. You know, at the minute I'm sat down here with a with a fractured tibia having made a move that I thought was going to be incredible. And don't get me wrong, it is, but it's got a funny way of smacking me in the face. The three games I played, we lost 60 points to 20, 53-13 and 28-7, all losses. And then I fractured my leg. Do you know what I mean? So you go, oh, it's always going to be like a humbling experience, but yeah. uh, I'm hell-bent on enjoying it. And I think that's the thing. I'd love rugby to say, oh, he had, he, he had a bit of crack. That's all I care about whatever people want to say or people want to call me a shit rugby player, honestly, that's fine. Like I'd love everyone to say I was incredible, but if people want to say, oh, I'm a shit rugby player, that's fine. I just don't want people to turn around and say, oh, he was a shit bloke. You know what I mean? <laughs> when people say my name, I just want people to go, oh, fuck, he's a good bloke. They can say whatever they want after that. Last thing, we will have an auction of goods all in aid of uh, the 4Ed cause. Uh, what piece of memorabilia, uh, Freddie Burns, will you leave behind for us on our podcast? And and can you sort of tell us about it and, and why it represents something, you know, so special to you? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was thinking about this. I want to leave something behind that's probably a bit unique, uh, probably not. There won't be too many of these out there at the minute. Um, and for me, it represents journey it represents you know stepping out of your comfort zone it represents change and I think the main thing for, for me is it represents uniqueness in the fact that you know, not many players have, have worn that shirt especially from our side of the world and I think as well it represents you know at the minute being injured um, you know sometimes you make a move that you've in your head you build up to be one thing and, and like many things in life it has a way of of sort of bringing you back down to earth and, and when you think you're in control, you're, you're not. So probably represents that sort of, that journey of highs and lows in, in sport and in life. It also sums up mine and, mine and Ed's relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's been unique uh, for, for many reasons, from arguing on the pitch 
going at each other pretty savagely soon. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, last summer, mate, in Mykonos having drinks and, and having fun with the kids and that. So the uniqueness of this will hopefully is what stands out. So it'll be a Highlanders, Highlanders match uh, that I'll sign. To add to that, let's not forget that the Super Rugby kits, particularly the Kiwi ones, are a million times better than any other rugby shirt available. <laughs> hey, here's, here's, um, here's one thing as well. It's, uh, it's the last year that it's Adidas as well. Oh, so there you go. So it'll be the last ever Adidas Highlanders kit. What a fantastic present. What a fantastic gift to leave us with. It has been an extraordinary time talking to you. And I mean that genuinely. And I've spoken to a lot of rugby players in my time. And I don't think I've ever spoken to one quite like you. Ed Slater, your thoughts on that? You're a special man, Fred. I know you don't like taking compliments, so you're going to sit through it awkwardly. But I think it was quite poignant what you said about what would rugby say about you. I haven't come across anyone when I mention the name Freddie Burns that doesn't say good bloke. You've um, not met my ex girlfriends, then, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, people, people I, I, I respect the opinion of, all right? <laughs> um, yeah. But no, mate, you're a great human being. And, and like you say, we've, we have got a unique relationship. And, you know, your point around it was never personal. And you, you know, I recognize instantly you're always the first person to acknowledge mistakes. And I respect that massively. But, you know, again, you're a person that, I can speak to about other things. And um, you talk about Mykonos, we talked about MND over there and, and you were probably one of the first people that, that really knew about it and knew what was going on. And you've been a massive support ever since. But So not just a great rugby player, mate, but you are a fantastic bloke and it's great to hear your stories. Coming from you, a bloke that I respect massively, you know that from our playing days and, and what you're doing now as well, mate. Just honestly, I can't tell you how much it it means to me so I appreciate that thank you Freddie Burns for giving us your rugby inheritance Uh, heal well and we hope to see you back on the pitch very soon legends cheers boys cheers Fred the rugby inheritance podcast is brought to you in association with George Davies Turf giving you the greenest grass for every lawn, pitch or playing field you have. Find out more at www.georgedavisturf.co.uk.